Welcome to the Wild West Tennis Podcast brought to you by Quality Shot. My name is Ellie Sarati. I am your host. I'm here again with the amazing Bradley Faulkner. Brad, how's it going today? Hola, amigo. I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great, actually. I, uh, Something seems different. Are you in Canada? You just seem different. Yeah, actually, I'm actually in uh, in Europe on uh, on some other business. I'm uh, you are an international man of mystery, aren't you? I mean, I can just tell. I can tell, like, you always have that vibe of positivity, but I'm like, something's different. So you're in Europe. What what country? I'm right now in uh, in Paris at my uh, my dad's apartment, and I'm actually heading to uh, Slovakia tomorrow to take care of some uh, other business. Wow, you, uh, man, hats off to you. Good, good, man. That is so cool. Anyways, uh, enough about you and me. Is there tennis to talk about today? Oh, we have lots to talk about. Uh, we got another awesome. crazy announcement. Uh, the big Roger Federer calling it a career after Labor Cup. Mm. So um, yeah. you know, it's, that's such a big topic that we have to talk about it. There's Davis yeah. Cup that we had last week. You know, both the U.S. and Canada were, were playing last week. Also, uh, we're going to touch on a few Canadians uh, who are coming back, like uh, Jeannie Bouchard. We have Rebecca Marino. So, uh, you know, we've got a couple Americans, you know, that performed well in Davis Cup. And uh, yeah. this week, there'll be, there's actually going to be a tournament in San Diego. So we're going to touch on that a little bit. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, and this yeah. is right after a major. I mean, can you believe it? Tennis is nuts. It is. It really is. And, and I crazy. feel like every year, the season's getting longer and longer. And actually, a couple of years ago, I remember Federer actually made a statement saying, listen, every other extending the season where our off season used to be like two, three months. Now it's like a couple of weeks. Like it's, it's so tight and it's so difficult. And so for sure. But you know, it's so awesome for the fans and that's uh, obviously without them. Okay. Yeah. You, like we found out in 2020 uh, with the U S open final, that was weird, you know, no fans <laughs> between, I think it was team and Zara uh, that U S open final. With, you know, they didn't let fans in that year. But obviously, look, they complained about the schedule being long. I, as a fan, I love it. I love it. But For I, sure. I hear what For you're sure. saying, you know. So um, let's start off with what happened last week, actually. I'm going to touch on Davis Cup. We, these yeah. were the, the group, the group uh, stage. And then basically there were four groups, and then two from each group was going to go on qualify for the knockout phase, which will be in the end of November in Malaga. So you had a group stage in Valencia, you had a group stage in uh, Germany and Hamburg, and then you had a group stage being wow. played in Glasgow, Scotland. So that's actually wow. where the Americans played. The Americans were in Scotland with Kazakhstan, the Netherlands, and Great Britain, and they actually ended up finishing second behind the Netherlands, and they're actually going to be qualifying for Malaga. So, you know, it's another oh, good cool. result for the American team, another good result for Marty Fish and uh, yeah. his Davis Cup team. You may want to give your thoughts on that? Yeah. I think it's great. I mean, I think Marty Fish was a great choice. Um, you know, I, I believe he replaced, gosh, Patrick McEnroe, who did a fine job. And Marty, um, he knows these guys. He's worked with a lot of these guys. He doesn't live that far from Taylor Fritz. I'm sure they work out a lot. I know he used to hit with Sam Querrey. Uh, Marty is a player's player. You know, he get he's good. I, I, it's such a good call. And, and you would have thought, oh, Roddick. But I think Andy wanted to just focus more um, on his personal life and be at home. Uh, so Marty's done a stellar job. I mean, to get into the to the qualify for the the end of the year, and you think he said it was in Malaga in Spain? 
Malaga, yeah, in the twenty uh, first yeah. to twenty seventh of November, I think. If I remember correctly. Yeah. So kudos to Marty, and I think Taylor Fritz. He, he obviously lost that first round match to uh, Holt, uh, Brandon Holt. So he was fresh. He went over and and, and did did well, as did Jack Sock. Um, so I, I was really happy to see that they they advanced to the final phase. And again, I'm not as up to date on it as I used to be. I used to travel with the uh, Davis Cup American team when they won in 07. I went to every home tie. And years prior to that, I think from 04 to 07, I didn't miss a home tie. But now it's a different format. But I'm just going to say kudos to that U.S. team. And, and I'm glad they're in the final phase at the end of the year. And now I'm going to touch a little bit on the Canadians. They actually had a really tough group. They were with Spain, Serbia, and South Korea. And when people saw that group, they initially thought, okay, Nadal is going to play for Spain. Djokovic is going to play for Serbia. It's going to be a super tough task, you know, for them yeah. to be in the class. And the fact that Chapa wasn't playing, Felix originally wasn't originally scheduled to play, but then due to his poor result, the U.S. Open wanted to get more matches on hard court. So at the last yeah. minute, he ended up deciding to play. And actually, um, they ended up finishing second in the group uh, behind Spain. And uh, speaking of Spain, right. actually, uh, Carlos Alcaraz, who won the U.S. Open, was literally playing yeah. Davis Cup a week later, which is pretty crazy. Think about it. And well, it helps, to be, it helps to be 19, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. You know? <laughs> and uh, he ended up losing his first match as the world number one to Felix in a really tight three-setter, which was a pivotal mm. match for, for, for the tie. And that actually helped Canada reach the uh, the knockout phase of the Davis Cup. So, I mean, it's a great result for Canada. It was basically Felix, yeah. uh, Vashik Pospisil. Um, you had Alexis Galarno, who was playing a challenge, challenger circuit. You had uh, Gabriel okay. Diallo, who was actually, um, fresh again, on a challenger circuit, who actually was just coming cool. off a final in, uh, in, in Winnipeg. And, uh-huh. you know, this was, you had two veterans, you had two rookies, so... I think yeah. it was a it was a pretty good match. I felt maybe if Felix wasn't there, it would have been more difficult. Oh um, yeah, I think they would have Felix there to carry them, you know, when he needed to. And uh, because of that, now they're playing the next stage. I'll be curious to see if Chapo does commit to the next stage because, you know, as they say, Davis Cup has sort of changed formats and sort of lost its mm-hmm. way a little bit along the way. So mm-hmm. it'll be interesting to see if if you know if Canada really seriously commits to having like a like an all-star roster come, come end of November. Again, it's going to be the yeah. end of the season. You know, players might be tired. You know, fatigue is always a big factor. But again, sure it's a good is. result to, uh, to beat Spain. They beat Korea. They ended up losing to Serbia. Um, uh-huh. We're still a really good team, even without Djokovic. You know, there was um, right. Zemir Kachmanovic. Yeah, that was su- I was surprised he didn't play. And I, I, I guess he had faith in his um, – uh, compatriots, because I thought, given that he didn't play it in the open, that he would he would show up. But you know, he'll be there at the end of the year. And whatever was going on, why he couldn't play, I don't know. It didn't matter. They advanced, like you said. So, well, actually, um, um, they they didn't qualify. So actually, Serbia well, they did. They finished. Oh. Third, so they will not. Wow. Well, Novak. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna dog Novak. He's had a tough enough year as yeah. it is. And I have great admiration for the man. Um, sorry, I, I didn't. I thought they had advanced, so uh, but that's no knock on Nole. Uh, he wasn't there, had he been there, I'm sure they would have, but I'm sure he had good reasons for not being able to play. And um, continuing with the Canadians, actually, last week we had finally the return after more than a year of injury and surgery and recovery. We actually saw the return mm-hmm. of Jeannie Bouchard, 
who played an event last year in last uh, week, sorry, not last year, last week in Chennai. She actually ended up mm-hmm. going all the way to the quarterfinals. She lost a tough three setter. And then now this week, she's playing in South Korea. And mm. uh, unfortunately, she ended up playing uh, one of the, one of the, uh, I think it was the number seven seed, Tatiana Maria, who was fresh That's off a, tough, a, yeah. a Wimbledon semifinal. She actually lost two tiebreaker sets. I actually ended up watching the match in full this morning. And uh, honestly, I've, I saw shades of Jeannie Bouchard from the year where she was like, top five when she made the final of Roland Garros, when mm-hmm. she made the final of Wimbledon. I literally mm-hmm. saw shades of that, and she's working with a, with a new coach. Uh, his name is Thomas Blinkovich. Um, okay. I actually haven't researched him much, to be honest, but uh, it looked like she was on her game. Like She had set points in the second set. Like She she was very, very close, sending it to a third, but again, you're playing a Wimbledon semifinalist you know, who's been playing yeah. solid games all year long. Yeah. But again, like... It's going to take week, week. You know, she started last week. She was ranked yeah. outside the top top 900. Now she's wow. at like 495 just with that core final yeah. result. And also uh, another Canadian result, another Canadian with our following actually is Rebecca Marino. She also played yeah. in India last week. She lost in the third round. And then actually she won her first match today. She beat a Hungarian, Yana Fed in straight set 6-1, 6-3. So uh, it'll be interesting what, what, what kind of results she's able to pull off at a WTA 250. Uh, she's been playing yeah. some great tennis coming off, you know, a, a second round at the U.S. Open. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, it's some good results for the Canadian women's side. Yeah, that's really great to hear about the chart because, um, as you mentioned, I think you said she was in the 900s. Now she's into, by that quarterfinal result, into the 400 range. Um, those are nice jumps. And she'll get wild cards because of her uh, resume. And her popularity, um, she's done commentary, I know, on Tennis Channel. And I've, I've been told she's good at that as well. So she's a great draw. Great to see her back. She'll pick up those wild cards uh, until her ranking gets better. She'll be able to play every week she wants to with wild cards. Um, and that's great. I, I may, and I, I'm not going to get ahead of myself, but I'm a little bit going to say that I'm, I'm really considering going to, uh, there's a WTA 1000. That'll be in Guadalajara. And that's in October, towards the end of the month. And I really would love to go there. I'm not sure if I if that's going to be able to happen yet. Uh, if I do, I hope she's there. Uh, and I hope you're there. I mean, you know, we'd love to have you down in Mexico. You know, you sort of, you're like a, uh, well, it's not the same group that credentialed you uh, for the tournament in Cabo, but they, they love you in Mexico. It's weird. Your popularity, you're sort of like Jerry Lewis was in, uh, in France. So you're you're the man down here. So you should come down. And Guadalajara is an amazing city. I haven't been there, but everyone that I ask loves it. So my point about talking about Guadalajara is I hope that both those Canadian uh, players are there at that event because it's a 1,000 and a great place to pick up a lot of points. So I'm glad to hear they're doing well. Uh, I appreciate that sentiment. Um, again, this is a WTA 1,000, so I'm not sure if she'll have to if the both of them will have to qualify based on their ranking. So that's a possibility. Oh, I think she'll. Yeah, I think Bouchard will probably need a wild card for that. But and yeah, you you never know how those get dished out. They don't. They have to give. We don't have to give it to anybody. That's the beauty of a wild card. Uh, that's by definition. It's doesn't have to be rational. Um, it's up to the discretion of the tournament. But I think they could both end up playing it and very easily not because on ranking alone, I'm not sure if they would. So we'll see. Hopefully they, they continue to improve, like you said. 
And uh, again, we're going to go back to uh, the big announcement that uh, Roger Federer has decided mm. to um, retire after the Labor Cup this weekend. I just want to get your, your initial mm. thoughts. And we had talked about this briefly before going on air. Sure. Yeah. Well, like everybody, um, uh, I was surprised. I think most people were, were surprised that it happened the way it did. I think a lot of us, well, myself, I'll speak for myself, thought maybe he would uh, do it sort of like Serena announced it. And maybe Wimbledon would be his last tournament or the, the, the Swiss indoor event. Um, so he did it kind of uh, in, in a unique way. Um, but so that's why I think it was a bit interesting and a surprise. Uh, as far as talking about the man, um, I'll let you go first. Maybe if you want to share a Federer story you have, whether it's personally or just a match, because I have plenty I could talk about with him. So actually, um, unfortunately, um, my media career, when I was covering tournaments for the last couple of years, Federer was injured. So I never really had a chance to cover him like in person or like even remotely, unfortunately. But I do remember yeah. growing up as a kid, uh, I was an Andy Roddick fan. So of course, <sighs> you know, people always remember the uh, Andy Roddick, Roger Federer rivalry. It was pretty much one sided. I think it was like 23 to two or something like that. And uh, two or three, yeah, yep. And I know we had this discussion before, but uh, a lot of people keep saying that if Roger Federer wasn't Roger Federer, Andy Roddick hmm. would have finished with hmm. at least maybe maybe five, six, seven Grand Slams because it's for sure, for yeah. sure. And and Ronich would have had, got one, right? Yeah. I mean, exactly. um, I don't know. I think Roger picked him off at Wimbledon one year, um, you know, late in the tournament. Uh, everyone has Federer-itis in that sense, that played with him in that era. He denied a lot of people a lot of uh, goodies, <laughs> which kind of, I guess that leads me to a story about Roger. One of them, I'll tell you. I was interviewing Tim Henman. I think it was that Indian Wells. Uh, Roger had just beat him. But I had to do a, a piece on, on Henman. He's a really cool dude. And he and Federer were tight. And <laughs> this is typical Roger Federer. This is somewhere around 2006, seven maybe. And uh, I'm talking to Tim. And, and Federer was, for some reason, was there. He was in the room. I think maybe he had just finished an interview, but they were in the same room. And, uh, and Roger's just hanging around listening to the beginning of the interview. And this is for a magazine, so it wasn't on, on camera. And uh, I said, uh, oh, I said to Roger, I said, you weren't very nice to Tim. He had just beaten Tim. Because I, I didn't want Roger to leave, but I kind of had to keep going with, with Tim. So that wasn't very nice what you did to him the other day. And he's like, Roger said, typical Federer fashion. Well, he wasn't very nice to me the first few years of my career. I mean, this is true because, as you know, <laughs> Henman had a good head-to-head -head against Roger in the early days. That was his classic Federer. I mean, like, honestly, dude, most people won't stick around, but he's just, like, BSing. He's shooting the breeze. He's – that's just the way the dude is. Like, he's so chill. He's so cool. And they were just giving each other grief. And I just liked that, like, I'm starting this interview with Hedman and like, there's Federer being like a heckler, you know? And I'm trying to give him, give him grief about, you know, something he did that was good. You know, he, I'm like, it wasn't very nice what he did to Tim, but he comes back immediately like, well, he wasn't very nice to me in the beginning of the career. So that shows you about the charm of the man. Now here's the side I'm gonna tell you that I haven't heard a lot of people talk about this. I'm gonna talk about Merka and Roger. Merka was a, a player, and yeah. I, I imagine they, they were uh, acquainted in the from the juniors on. 
uh, I don't know when their relationship uh, evolved from friendship to uh, boyfriend, girlfriend, and obviously to a husband and wife. But it was at the 03 Open. And uh, that's when Roger still had the long hair. And Mirka was still on tour because she was in her tennis outfit. Uh, and <laughs> I mean, this is kind of uncool, but I'm going to do it anyways. I, I'm not kidding. In the room where, like, there's this room at the Open. I think it's probably the same. I haven't been to the Open since 2014. There's this room where they string rackets. Well, Roger and Mirka are, like, behind a pillar, and they're making out. I mean, not like they're not groping each other. It's not like the back of a movie theater style, but it's not just a peck on the cheek. Like they're like two kids in love. And I was like, cool, cool. And then I'm like, oh, that's not cool. Don't, don't be, you know, don't be weird. Leave them alone. I just noticed it. I like, they were being discreet. So I thought, oh, that's, that's cool. He's in love. That's great. You know, I think at the time, uh, Leighton Hewitt was dating Kim Kleister. So a lot of that stuff happens, but it was really cute. They weren't being inappropriate. I mean, and I wasn't either. I just had a look and I was like, Nice. All right. And then the next story about Mirka, they're married and Roger wasn't there, but it was at Indian Wells. And I was working at Tennis Channel that, at that time. And I think that would have been around 2000, I'm thinking around 2008 after the loss to Rapa uh, at, at Wimbledon, around that time. And uh, so they wanted me to ask Mirka if she'd do an interview. And in those days, we just I just walk up to people uh, to play in the player lounge, but it, Merkel was in the player dining. And I walked up to her and I said, excuse me. Uh, I think I might have said Mrs. Federer because <laughs> I didn't know her. You know, I mean, I, we'd seen each other, obviously, at place, different places. And I'm like, uh, hey, would it be all right if, uh, you know, at some point in the next few days, uh, could we interview you, uh, you know, on Tennis Channel? And uh, she was really cool. She had her tray of food, salad or whatever. And she's like, you know, I, 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 I can't, I don't do interviews. I, I don't do any interviews. And uh, a guy from Canada, a journalist, Tom Tebbit, he, he saw the whole thing go down. And I said, oh, I, that makes sense. That's fair. I don't blame you because you don't, you, you'd have to be saying yes to a lot of people and that's hard. And she's like, no, you're right. I just can't. And I'm, it's not that I don't want to. I, I just don't. And I said, oh, I, I get it. I said, I, I understand. But uh, you have a good day. And Tom Tebbit, who has this really cool voice, he's got like a voice for radio. And Tebbit saw the whole thing. And I don't know if Teb Tebbit still covers tennis for uh, Canada. I hope he does. He's a great writer, good guy. And he's like, well, that's the nicest rejection I've ever seen a man get from a woman. And I'm like, yeah, pretty cool, right? <laughs> so <laughs> that's, the, that's the two Federer stories um, that I'm going to share. You know, I mean, come on. Everyone knows how great the man was, how graceful the man was. He's just cool as hell. And he's one of those guys that had you been able to uh, start your career earlier, he would have liked you. He would have known your name. I remember, I think it was 2014 at Indian Wells. He said, hey, Brad. And I was like, huh? Like, That's weird. Uh, how does he know my name? He just knew. He, that wasn't because I was, I was, I mean, I was around for a lot of his career. I was there in 03 when he won Wimbledon. I was at a lot of his uh, matches at the Open, the French Open, at Doha. Uh, Miami. I saw Roddick beat him in Miami. I think it was 2013 or 2012. Uh, but I just was at a ton of his matches in Canada, uh, Rogers Cup. I was there. So I just saw this guy play a lot, like like many journalists. And he, he was the kind of dude that he would know our names. He's just a cool dude. What you see is what you get. <laughs> That's all I have to say about that. Roger. So actually, uh, funny, that. 
funny story. Um, I actually remember watching on YouTube. Federer played a doubles match with her with his wife Mirko. Uh, I think it was like a Hopman Cup thing. Um, can you remember Hopman Cup? He was, he, it was like an yeah, exhibition. Yeah, in Perth. Yeah, in Perth before the Australian Open. Sure did. Yeah, I think it was back in the early two uh, thousands. I don't remember what year. I think I, I think it's been a, I think it's just been gone for maybe five years or so. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so, no, players loved it. So Federer played with Mirka, and I remember that match. And I think they were playing uh, Layton and another Aussie girl. If I remember correctly, my memory could have been, um, been Alicia Malik, most yeah. likely. I'm not sure. She was blonde. It doesn't matter. They had a lot and of good players. The other memory I have is 2009, the Wimbledon final. That was mm. a crazy match. Mm. And while the whole world was celebrating that for Roger Federer, I was kind of bummed out because I was this diehard and erotic fan that like based my game off his game. Like I would try to serve like him. I would try to hit like massive forehands like him. So like I really like felt the, Yeah, I really felt the connection to him. And he was so close. He was up a set, six two mm -hmm. in, his, in the second set tiebreaker. I'll never forget mm -hmm. an infamous volley that he missed. And from there just mm -hmm. he went up losing the second set, lose the third mm -hmm. set, come back in the fourth Force of mm -hmm. fifth, not get broken the entire match until mm -hmm. the last, last point of the match when he ended up losing 16 14 mm -hmm. the fifth. I'll never forget that mm -hmm. match. I was actually here in Paris because um, my dad's in the restaurant industry. And I was mm -hmm. literally like behind the bar. Like the restaurant wasn't open because it was on Sunday. Mm -hmm. And what happened was that I was behind the bar. I was on my laptop just watching this match. And at the end, I was just. Bummed out, like I was just like, yeah, crap, like you know, again. Okay you know, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I when I was a kid uh, watching my idols, Bjorn Borg was my first idol. I remember I cried when McEnroe beat him at Wimbledon. Uh, Borg is going for six in a row. I cried. I don't. A lot of people cry, and not just. I mean, Roger cried on court too when he won and when he lost. Uh, that's another cool thing about Fed. Like he was an equal opportunity crier. And he gave people tears, but he had a lot of his own too, especially that last one, the loss, the loss to Novak, where he had the, you know, serving for the match. He had the two match points on his racket. So he knows heartbreak on the court and he knows how to give it on the court, you know? Um, I mean, he's experienced everything you can in tennis and life. And I guess the question, I'm curious what you think. What do you think's next for Roger? I mean, do you think he becomes a commentator? Does he become a tournament director? Both? Does he run a Legends too? I mean, what do you think's next for Roger? Um, I think it's too early to say, but I mean, whatever he does, like, I'm pretty sure he'll be awesome at it. Whether it's commentating, whether it's coaching, whether it's becoming a tournament director, yeah. whether it's managing, like, like how about, I'm pretty sure, like, how, about Ro how about Roger Federer for commissioner of tennis? Can you imagine that? I mean, what well, a great yeah. candidate, right? Yeah, for sure. Like, he, 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 he could replace um. No, I'm saying commissioner. Yeah. No, 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 no. I'm saying commissioner of the sport, not not head of the uh, ATP, not president of the ATP, not CEO right. of that. No. Commissioner of the tennis, men and the women. Yeah. I mean, we don't have that. Other sports do. I'm not sure if soccer has one, but we have that in uh, in the U.S. with football and with basketball. I think we do with baseball. I mean, I could see Roger Federer in that role rather handsomely. Uh, if anyone could pull it off, it would be Roger, and uh, because he, 
you know, being married to a former WTA player, he would, um, and just a, a, a big picture thinker, he would be um, fair and, and with both tours. It wouldn't be just, he wouldn't be favoring the ATP. Um, so I could see, I mean, imagine if there, it was ever to be a man or a person to be the commissioner of tennis, it would be Roger Federer. I, I don't think there'd be a lot of opposition to that. Now, I don't know if anyone wants to, I don't know if he wants to chill in retirement because that would not, <laughs> that would have a lot of stress with it. Obviously that, that position has never been a commissioner of, of the tennis, but I, I think I'll say it here now and I'm sure other people have on different podcasts. Why not have Roger Federer be the commissioner of tennis? I just don't think there'd be much opposition. No, I definitely agree. And to answer your question, they do have one in MLS. They do have a commissioner for MLS, Major League oh, okay. Soccer. And then in okay. Europe, it's it's based on the league. So I'm assuming that every league has their own little commissioner. Um, okay. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree with Roger Federer as a commissioner. And But I think for wow. now, he might, he, might, he might take a step back. Because remember, he has four kids, two sets of twins yes. that are yes. still very young. So I think he might try to focus on that a little bit more. And then right. maybe when... Like maybe he might pull a Tom Brady. Maybe he might, you know, do that for two or three months and then like realize that he's bored out of his mind and that he needs to do something like to change his life. And they yeah. come back you know, as a, maybe as a coach, maybe in development, maybe commentary. Yeah. You know, you know. I mean, literally uh, the world is this man's oyster. You know, I don't like oysters personally, but I mean, come on. The, the dude is like, I mean, I, I imagine around the house he's smooth, like, you know, fixing, like, you know, changing a light bulb or, like, you know, hanging a photo. I just imagine that everything is just like, there's that smoothness. And it's actually really funny because in his retirement letter that he wrote, he wrote, oh, I, um, he said, I want to thank my wife for, for, uh, for um, su uh, supporting my goofy side. So He is goofy. Dude, that's his main side. I swear to God, like just you, you can just Google stuff he does, like outtakes of him doing stuff uh, for TV or commercials. Yeah, it was a really funny commercial he did with a buddy of mine who's a teaching pro, and they filmed it at Indian Wells. And I should remember my buddy's name, and I'm sorry. Uh, I'd love to give him a shout out because he's a really cool dude. But you'll know it if you watch it. I think it was an ad for Wilson, and my friend he was a he's a teaching pro, but he also did some media work. And Roger does this commercial with the guy. And like Federer's got like a fake mustache on. It's just funny AF. You know what I mean? It's just funny AF. And uh, like you said, yeah, he's bad. That's why he was giving Tim uh, a hard time during, during the interview that I was doing with Tim. Like, guy, guy's hilarious. They're all funny. I mean, why wouldn't you be funny if you're a tennis player? Is life so, really that hard? I'll never forget, uh, Roger was playing Ralph on a charity event, and they had to tease it for the ATP. And yeah. it's literally this video, it's 10 minutes long. Instead, mm -hmm. they screwed up like 20 times, and then the last time, <laughs> they nailed yeah, it. And, and all you remember here is Federer, yes! Yeah, and you know what? Federer was screwing up more than Rafa, because it's in English, the one you're talking about. And so Roger, you know, he's... Um, God, knowing him, I know it's it's uh, French, Swiss, German, German, English, and I'm sure others. I, I'd be willing to bet anything he understands Spanish and probably speaks it. I don't know. But so Rafa's the one, you know, it's it's not his first language. It's become a lot better his, his English. 
and, and Roger, they started getting a little exasperated with Roger because like you said, he's clowning around, goofing around. They couldn't, like, they couldn't keep a straight face. They're so funny together, those two. Like, what a beautiful, like, they're kind of an odd couple in a lot of ways, obviously. Um, but that's why it works. Like, when they do their labor cup stuff, when they were giving, like, Sissy Foss grief about doing hand signals and doubles, like, they're just, like, <laughs> like I, I think Federer's a bit of a practical joker. But I don't think he, he would, have, he's nice with his humor. And because he's so charming, he only makes fun of somebody for what they do well. That's why he gave Tim grief when I was interviewing but with he wasn't very nice to me the first, you know, 10 times we played. It wasn't 10, but it was, a, it was seriously, Federer had a losing record to Henman for a long time. Um, there were certain guys like Curtin played uh, Federer well. I remember it was in 03 at Indian Wells that Guga beat Roger. I think it was two tiebreak sets. And God, Federer was ticked off. I've never seen him so pissed uh, at the press conference afterwards. Guga was not at the height of his power in 2003. But he beat Roger at Indian Wells. Now, Guga did get to the final that year and lost to Leighton Hewitt. And it got demolished because he had to play a semifinal match the, the day of the final. It's weird because they had rain at Indian Wells. So that year that, that Guga beat Roger at Indian Wells in 2003, Federer was pissed because it was like a first-round or second-round match. And Roger knew he, he had opportunities and chances, and he kind of blew it. He hadn't won a major yet. Remember, this is 2003 before Wimbledon. And then when Guga beat him. And I think Guga beat Roger at the French in 04 or 05 as well. So there are certain dudes that gave him trouble. Leighton Hewitt in the start of their rivalry gave Roger fits. Did you know that Roger Federer used to be like one of like the most angriest players on tour? Like he used to have a really bad yeah. work. Like before yeah. he, he calmed down, like he used I'll never forget. Like he always used to like get mad. At the umpire he used to like break his rackets. He used to like do like 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 the curious thing, and then yeah. actually they interviewed him about it. They're like, okay, well, there was a time where you were really like angry and pissed off, and always he goes, what was what was the changing moment of your career? He goes, I'll never forget. I was playing Marat Safin in the early two thousands, and mm -hmm. I'll never forget watching that match because it was literally a battle between two angry players who were literally breaking every racket in their bag. Like no. I, I remember that must have been early. That must have been early two thousands. He's like, I remember was... watching it on TV, and then he goes, "I would break a racket. He would break a racket. I would break yeah. a racket." And then he goes, "I, I goes, I he goes, I had to realize that if I wanted to get where I wanted to be, I had to stop doing that." And that yeah. was really the defining moment of his career when he said, "You know what? I'm going to change." And then from then on, like it was so rare you saw him angry. It was so rare. You just call this cool, yep. calm, collected guy. But there yeah. were moments where, like, you know, you saw him lose his cool. Like, when you played Del Potro at the U.S. Open, like, and Del Potro called, like, for a challenge, but it was, like, a minute late. Was that in the final, the year that Del Potro beat him in the final? Yeah, and uh, there was a, there was a game, I remember there was a match in Miami, and uh, he just missed the easiest forehand ever, and he just, and even the comp there was, like, whoa, like, you never mm -hmm. see that from Roger, like, never, like. Like he had gone no, sure five years without breaking your rack, and like people were just like, okay, like he, you know, he's human, you know, he's he's not like. Is he? Well, is he really? I don't know. I think he's an alien. I don't think he's human. And I, I got think, a question for you. He, sure. Do you think that the Federer Nadal rivalry is one of the biggest rivalries in sports history? Absolutely, absolutely, because 
And credit, oh, kudos to Roger for doing a couple, two key things that I wish Sampras would have done one of them. Is he got Roger got a, a bigger head size? The, he he increased the head size of his racket, and Pete never did that. So that that that's why he was able to beat uh, Rafa in the uh, Australian Open final. And I think it was seventeen, and Roger or Rafa was in a winning position uh, in that match. And uh, rare for Rafa, he, he I don't know if he took his foot off the gas pedal or what, but Fed came back and beat him. So I think changing to the bigger head size. Uh, helped his rivalry with Rafa because, like so many players, uh, Rafa would just uh, pick on your one-handed backhand. And as a lefty, you know, that it, it's such an easy play, whether it's serving to it or, or cranking the forehand to it. So Roger, you know, uh, had a bad head-to-head with, with Rafa. It took some seriously painful losses, the 08 Wimbledon final, which is the best match of all time, in my opinion, still. Uh, and then the 09 Australian Open loss to, to Rafa, where Federer cried after that match. Yep. Um, so for him to write the ship and just like what he did to him at, in the Australian Open final, coming back in the fifth set, um, was remarkable. And then he put a beat down on, I mean, I've never seen Rafa be more like, <sighs> he made Rafa look like a junior at Indian Wells that year. They meet at Indian Wells, which is a hard court that should favor Rafa. Because it's a very slow hard court. There's a lot of sand in the mix of the paint at Indian Wells. I mean, it roughs up the balls. So it should be the best hard court for a guy like Rafa. And Fed made him look pedestrian. So, yeah, I think it's the greatest rivalry. And I'm really happy that Roger was able to get that Australian Open. I mean, I was I was pretty fair-minded. I root for all greats. Probably more of a Rafa guy uh, as far as uh, I liked him. Like It's like having two pets that you love. Um, but good for Roger to, to get those wins, uh, to, to clo- you know, narrow the gap. Uh, the head-to-head is still obviously in Rafa's uh, favor. Um, but, yeah, I think it's the best rivalry in sports, or one of. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it, kudos to Roger for, for not going away and making the adjustment, you know, improving the backhand, going with the bigger uh, racket head size. And um, just – Figure solving that problem. Djokovic was probably a little more challenging for Roger at the end of his career. Um, but yeah, absolutely. The Roger Rafa rivalry, best in sports. I, I'd say, yeah, sure. Why not? Listen, I, mean, Brad, I uh, really appreciate your time today. This was episode four uh, of um, the Wild West Tennis Podcast brought to you by Quality Shot. Please like, subscribe us on YouTube. Please keep following us. Next week, we'll be back next Wednesday. And Brad, I'm looking at you to cover San Diego. So uh, we'll have to. Get oh yeah, I'll give you. Yeah, uh, yeah. The reason we didn't, I didn't talk about San Diego today was twofold. One that it's uh, ongoing. Uh, the the main result was unfortunately Brandon Holt lost his first match uh, in three sets. He won the first, and he 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 was he, when I was watching online, he was going into a second set breaker, which unfortunately he lost to a French player. Um, so Brandon Holt lost in three sets in San Diego, which is a bummer. Um, but still a good result because let's be fair. Uh, he got a wild card there. I'm sure he competed well. I didn't get to see it. I was watching it live scoring. So that's all I can say about San Diego for now. I did used to live there. So I'm very happy to talk about the San Diego tournament next week. Perfect. Thank you so much, Brad. It's a pleasure as always, buddy. Be safe over there. All right. Adios. 
<risa> Adiós, muchachos.